You know, to two or three people that are probably sitting in here in the audience this morning, I'm sorry I lied. I said the lesson was going to be about such and such. And in the middle of preparation, it turned into a completely different lesson. So, um, actually, uh, I talked to Sean this morning, and he's going to allow me to preach next week as well. So, the lesson that was going to happen this morning will happen next week. So, um, and he kind of understood the whole gig. Sometimes in the middle of preparation, you do little offshoots. Well, little offshoots can turn into entire sermons. So this offshoot uh, in regards to the Pharisees turned into a sermon of itself. Um, What I want to talk about this morning is the labeling of being called a Pharisee. You know, we, we take it as a derogatory term, right? If someone called us a Pharisee or said we're Pharisaical, we would take it as... Hey, someone's saying that maybe I'm being judgmental or lacking compassion, uh, or possibly they might think, uh, they might call us that after, let's say we gave them a scripture. Well, the scripture says this, the Bible says that, God says this, ah, you're being pharisaical because you're trying to hold strictly to the scripture, right? We've maybe been called that before. And usually the term is always, well, I almost want to say always, it's got a negative connotation attached to it. You know, um, you're, trying to, you're trying to abide by every single rule, like, like it's a bad thing, right? How dare you? How dare you obey God? How dare you do that? How dare you strive to obey his commandments? Now, before I get into more stuff about the Pharisees this morning, first of all, I want to say that God in the scripture, any of the reading that I've ever done, God has never, ever, ever discourage someone from striving to follow, love, or obey him. God has never discouraged that, all right? God's never discouraged the intensity of that, never. Um, In fact, it's highly rewarded and encouraged to obey God. And we're going to go through some of those scriptures first before we, we look at what it truly means to be a Pharisee this morning. So I'd like to go over, let's start out with Hebrews 11.6. We're very, uh, we're very, uh, we know this passage very well. Hebrews 11.6. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, there's that encouragement. Everybody knows what it is to diligently seek after something. If there's something, let's pick something worldly that we're like, I love tools. You guys know that I work on cars. I love tools. If there's something that I want to look for or go after, I will be in the Harbor Freight catalog, Snap-on, Matco, Mac, or any of the other brands that are out there. I will diligently seek for that. I'll I'll be looking online. I will Google search Menards, Home Depot, Lowe's. That's really, we know what it is to diligently seek for something, to chase after that. You know, y'all ladies are on Pinterest getting those, getting those, uh, uh, the recipes for something, something to make or something that you want, you know, like Holly and I were looking in there for, uh, what was it? That cabinet that we want to make, you know, we know what it is to like, Hey, I want the instructions for this. I'm diligently seeking after it. Well, God rewards us for basically chasing after him, trying to get to know him better, you know, in an intense way. There's a reward for that. Acts 10.35 says here, But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness, 
is accepted by him. You know, people who are striving, they're accepted by God. There's that encouragement to strive to follow, love, and obey him. Matthew 25, verse 21. In the middle of this parable, he says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in the joy of your Lord. So we see that being faithful, doing good, taking care of what he says here are the small things. He's going to make you ruler over more things. Enter in the joy of your Lord. There's a positive connotation to it, as we see here. Well done, he says. Don't we want to hear that? James 1.12, I know I'm throwing a lot of verses out there, but I want to drive this point home. James 1.12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. What does it mean to endure temptation? Endure temptation, I'm sorry. To endure temptation is to go through a trial and not sin. All right? Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he, is, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. All right. Once again, that positive connotation to someone who does right, someone who tries to get to know the Lord and do what he says. And what is it to love the Lord? What does that mean? Is that like, a, hey, he's my buddy, hugs and kisses? Is that what that means? To feel emotional about God? Well, let's let the scripture tell us what it means to love God. First John 2, verses 3 through 6. He says, now by this we know him, if we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly, truly the love of God is perfected in him. To keep his word means to obey him. They're synonymous terms. It's the same thing. Truly, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk as he walked. All right, that's what it is to love God. And finally, I, might, I did want to pick an Old Testament passage because the majority of, of principles and commandments in the Scripture as far as in regards to the way we love God and live our lives, they're found in the Old and the New, the old and the New Testament. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. See, there was, there was always a benefit to mankind obeying God. All right, God rewards you striving after him. So I think I've put enough verses out there that we've got that nailed down. So when someone says, hey, you're being pharisaical, I guess in some ways, as long as I'm obeying what God says, I'm okay with that. All right. But today, what I really wanted to go over was to truly look at what it means to be pharisaical. And what we'll find is we'll give you the answer up front. Um, were the Pharisees adhering to the letter of the law like they're always, you know, we accuse them of? To give the answer up front is going to be no. They weren't adhering to the law. So, really, if someone says you're pharisaical, what that truly would mean is that you're not obeying God. That's what that would mean to be pharisaical. So hopefully by looking at Jesus' response to the Pharisees, um, the way he basically calls them out on their sins, and the, the majority of that is found in Matthew 23. Now the other Gospels uh, do 
uh, show that same account, but I believe Matthew 23 shows the most detailed account of Jesus uh, basically calling the Pharisees out for what they're not doing, all right? For how, how, for how ungodly they're being, all right? So, and hopefully by, by going through this account of what Jesus is telling the Pharisees, we can look inwardly, and this is kind of a gauge for us, you know, because, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be fully transparent. When I read Matthew 23, I've seen the stuff that I've done wrong before, you know, and I see things that I even to this day still struggle with. But that's a good example for me of who not to be is like a Pharisee. And we'll go through that today. All right. And take an honest look at ourselves and make some changes. All right. So let's go to Matthew chapter 23. Now, Jesus was already interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees up to this point, but this is kind of the meat and potatoes of him arguing with them. So we'll start out. We'll start out with verse 1, and we'll read through, uh, through verse 7. Now, we're going to bounce around to some other passages, but mainly we're going to stay in chapter 23 today. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 7. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Let me stop for just a second. The things, a lot of the things that the Pharisees would say and the, command, the commandments they would communicate, those things were good. All right? So, obviously, Jesus is telling him, it was kind of like, hey, do what they say, but don't do what they do. You know, because the Pharisees were in that, that old adage where it's like, hey, do as I say and not as I do. Okay? But Jesus is saying, hey, listen to what they say and do those things, but don't do according to their actions. Let's pick back up in verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will, will not move them with one of their fingers. You know, that's a, a, kind of a side leadership point, you know, that I, that I know we can, I know I myself can get better at this. If you're going to tell someone to do something, you should be doing it yourself. You know, if I, if I tell my kids that, hey, you guys should be hard workers and I'm lazy, what, you know, they're, they're probably going to do what I do, right? They're not going to listen to what I say. All right, so if I, tell, if I tell someone to do something, you better be doing it or really working on it, all right? Because the message can go out the window if we're not doing what we say, if what we tell others to do. It's a bad example. Back in verse 5. But all their works, see, they did some good works, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, let's stop right there. Back in the Old Testament, to have a phylactery, and you should go and look this up online. It's actually kind of interesting. They look goofy. Got this box on their head with some scriptures in it, all right? And it's strapped to their head. And when I was looking up this lesson, I, I finally got to see pictures of it. And so you're walking around with this box of scriptures on your head, all right? So just think about it. They made that. They wanted people to see that. Oh, wow, look at them. They're spiritual. They got this, their phylactery is bigger than that person's, right? Or uh, when they talk about their uh, enlarge the border of their garments, 
you know, things that would make them look more godly. They wanted people to see that. They weren't concerned as much as what, uh, of what God thought about them. They wanted, they wanted the praise of mankind. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I've struggled in that area before. You know, doing, doing good works to be seen by mankind. But thankfully, Jesus calls us out on that. If we do something, it shouldn't be to be seen by men. It should be that he sees it. All right? But the Pharisees struggled with that. So they do good works to be seen by other people. They wanted the praise of man rather than the praise of God. Verse 6, they love the best seats at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. This is just really flowing with selfishness, right? It was all about them, and it was not about God. All right, and that's very dangerous. And if we go back to Matthew 6, Kind of along the same lines, Jesus, uh, he talks about this, Matthew 6, 1 and 2. This is basically God's response to, hey, what we should do instead of doing these works and doing all this stuff to be seen by men, what do we need to be doing in our own lives when it comes to doing those good deeds? Now, he talks about charitable deeds here, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 he says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. It wasn't that he, you did them in front of people. It was the intent behind it. Don't do it to be seen. Because sometimes you can't help but do good deeds and be seen. All right? You may not be able to control that. But what you can control is choosing to have the right intention. Okay? Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. I'd rather have the reward of God... Because that's, that's what's really going to last. The praise of men lasts for how long? For a little bit, right? Until the next good deed. Therefore, when you do a charitable, charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Yes, they have their reward from men. Now, can you imagine someone blowing a trumpet? Basically, hey, get the attention on me. Look at this good deed that I'm doing. Can you imagine that? But that was, they were so involved with having themselves look good that they brought that much more attention on that. Don't try and bring uh, undue attention on your good deeds. All right? Make sure we have the intent that when we do right, it's so that God can see our heart, you know, God can see that, not that man can see that. Um, let's move on to verse 8. His response to the people in that regard, he says, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. You know, I've got to stop right there. And this, I, to be honest with you, now that I just read that, something that comes to mind is, hey, one is Christ, and you are all brethren. We're all the same. These people wanted to be elevated. They wanted to be put up on a pedestal instead of putting God on the pedestal. He said, you are all brethren, and that's just the way it is. So you guys are all equal. Don't try and elevate yourself above anybody. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. 
And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it reminds me of Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, where he talks about, hey, don't let a man, you know, let not a man think more highly of himself than he ought to. All right, this, this kind of goes along with that. And also, uh, I don't have the verse down here, but in, in the Gospels, and I've, uh, I believe in Proverbs also, um, it's talked about as, hey, if you're invited to some place, don't go up and grab the best seat. You know, otherwise, what if the person who invited you says, wait a second, you're, you sit back there. You know, better to have someone say, hey, you're sitting back there, come on up here. All right, there's a humility to that. You know, if you just go and grab the, the best seat, I mean, look at the Pharisees' example. They wanted the best seats, all right? They thought too highly of themselves. Well, if they had acted in a humble way, they may have sat in the back seat and just let whoever invited them, hey, you come on up. So that's what Jesus teaches. Like I said, I don't have the verse for that right now, but I believe that's the way um, that he had communicated it. Now, if we continue on, verse 13. <clears throat> Now is when the woes start coming in. And when the woes start coming in, Jesus is getting a lot more intense about, about his message and about uh, the severity of their, of their sins, really. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Basically, you're actors, you're fake. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So people who are striving to go to heaven, people that want to be right with God, they're, they're literally, they're not going in. The Pharisees aren't going to heaven, and they're blocking other people from going. Let us never have that woe put on us. 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Now, if if you've gone through the Old Testament quite a bit, you'll notice there's, there's certain individuals and people that God, uh, not that God doesn't want to protect everybody, but there were certain people that he was very protective of. And two of those people were the fatherless and the widows. And he was very strong and authoritative when he said, hey, I defend the fatherless and the widows. And the fact that the Pharisees, the people that are supposed to be God's people, are devouring their houses, obviously the fact that he said you'll receive the greater condemnation had angered Jesus and God, right? But it's funny that for a pretense, they make long prayers. Like it makes it okay. Hey, if I say a long prayer, it, it, it's almost like it balances out the fact that I'm devouring the widow's house. It makes it okay. I said a long prayer, right? You know, it's almost like, hey, we prayed before we sinned. Doesn't that make it okay? No, it doesn't. It doesn't balance out. It's not right in the eyes of God. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Think about this. And here's, here's a good lesson for us. These people who, we'll just say it straight up, these people who are not right in the eyes of God, these people who are going to hell, because it says you're a son of hell yourselves, they go and try and basically convert people to God. But they're basically going to duplicate themselves. 
hey, if they're already going to hell, what do you think these people that they're converting are going to do? The same thing. You're, like Jesus says, you're going to make them worse than you. So they're going to, therefore, they're going to go there also. Isn't this a good example for us to have our walk with God, our relationship with God in check so we don't cause someone else to stray and go down the wrong path? Okay, so we don't duplicate, hey, if we're going to hell, how are we going to convert someone to go to heaven? They're going to go to the same place. All right, so that's a good lesson for us to make sure we have our stuff together so that someone else doesn't follow us downwards, we actually can point them to heaven. All right? Verse 16, here's another one. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God, by him who sits on it. Isn't it amazing, like, he's even calling them out on their judgment. They're, I mean, you can't even discern, like, you're not even worried about the temple. Don't worry about this thing. This is where God resides. You're worried about the gift. You're worried about the gold on the altar. It's like, the altar was the thing that was holy. The temple was the thing that was holy. You know, they've completely misplaced their judgment. All right? So notice how he's calling them out on that. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Joe, uh, Joe read this earlier. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Once again, he's basically calling them out for being fake. You know, what's, what's that tell us? You know, being a hypocrite is being an actor. Being an actor is being fake. It's not you, right? And when I, and when I say this, you guys, I have struggled with this before. All right? And there's times that I do struggle with this, so I'm... I'm not saying that I have it all down, but I see the template of what I'm supposed to be and what not supposed to be when I read the scripture. All right? He's telling us we shouldn't be fake. Verse 23, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. All right, and that's good. What they're doing there is right. They're doing what God required of them in the law. All right? Now, if I had to categorize this, they were taking care of the worship things. And, and to be honest with you, let's, let's make a modern day New, Test, New Testament application. All right. Let's say they come to the building and they do the acts of worship. Hey, I came in, I sung, we prayed, we did the Lord's Supper, heard the lesson, all that stuff, right? Those things are good, right? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But let's read on. So they did what was required of them in the law. And that was a good thing. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now, let me stop there. Let's make a New Testament example. All right. We, live, we come to the building Wednesday night, Sunday. We do what's right in the eyes of God. We do what we're required to do. But how are we acting outside of there? 
when it comes to God's commandments. I mean, let me back up. Think about this. Being here pre-COVID, we're here three, four hours a week, right? Give or take. We've got Bible study, got Wednesday night Bible study, you got worship. Let's say three, four hours a week. There's a whole other life that we live out there. All right? Many hours of being at school, being at work, being out in public and things like that. How are we conducting ourselves in those times? Are we obeying God? Or how about when we're home? Are we doing things that are pleasing the eyes of God or are we disobeying God in certain ways? What are we doing in that outside time? Because remember, that outside time consists of a hundred and some odd hours. What are we doing with that time? Are we obeying God in that portion of our life as well? The Pharisees were neglecting that part of life. They weren't living a righteous life. And he's calling them out for it. Let that be an example to us. Now, he didn't say, hey, you shouldn't have done these, these things over here. He didn't say you shouldn't have done the worship things at all. He said you need to do both. As he says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You should have done it all. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, let's talk about this, this justice, uh, justice and mercy for just a minute. And it's, what's funny is, I think about like their justice that they showed. And let's go to John chapter 8. It's funny, but it's not. It's just, it's very interesting, their type of justice. No wonder Jesus called them out on it. John chapter 8. So the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8. Let's, uh, let's read verses 2 through 5. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Hold on right there. They only brought the woman. In this sin, it takes two. Otherwise, it's not adultery. Okay? And it's just interesting. Where's the justice in that? All right? You brought the woman. Where's the dude at? Where's the guy at? Because it takes two. So their justice is messed up as soon as they walk in the building. Verse 4. Oh, uh, end of verse 3, he says, And when they had set her in the midst, <clears throat> verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Okay. Number one, yeah, like I said, where's the guy at? That's not true justice. It would been a little different if he brought both of them in. Might be a little bit different, but he didn't. But they didn't. Where's the justice in that? That's not fair. What? So the guy got off, you know, scot free. Hey, he didn't do nothing wrong. Happy trails. Have a good day. And back to the thing. Remember, justice, mercy, and faith is what Jesus just called him out for in Matthew twenty three twenty three. Right? <clears throat> Where was the mercy in what they were doing to this woman? Where's the mercy at? They put her in the express lane to get stoned. And they let the guy off. Where's the mercy in that? 
Because I guarantee you, and Jesus calls him out for it later, you know, let, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. I can guarantee you that they wouldn't want this kind of express judgment, right? They wouldn't want this rapid, they'd want trial. They'd want witnesses. So they didn't exercise mercy at all, not even close. Because we know they wouldn't want to be treated like that. How about us? In regards to Matthew 23, 23, and 24. Are we just in our decisions or the way we look at people? Are we, are we using, one, first of all, the standard and the righteous judgment and righteous discernment that comes from this? Because ultimately, this is the standard, John 12, 48, right? Be judged by my word. Are we using that as our standard for justice? Are, be, are we being just with people? Are we, get, are we giving people, other people, the mercy that we would want to receive? Right? Sometimes we're tougher on others than we are on ourselves. Are we giving other people the mercy that they deserve and that we would want? So this has got to apply to our own lives. <clears throat> and do we have faith? Do we have the faith that brings about action? I think that's another thing that Jesus was calling them out on, that they might have had the belief, but not the belief that brings action along with it. Not the true biblical scriptural belief not the scriptural faith. And therefore, he calls them blind guides because they're getting nitpicky. They're letting, they're letting certain things through and then, they, oh, wait, let's get this little. And he's calling them out for it. No justice, no mercy. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Again, there's the, hey, you're fake, you're actors. For you cleanse the outside of the cup, and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. This isn't just Jesus teaching them about how to wash dishes. All right? But he's trying to drive home a point. And I think we see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New that it really starts with the inside. Because obviously they had, they had faked people out, right? Because a lot of people believe that the Pharisees are truly God's people. But Jesus is telling them, no. You might look like it to mankind, but because Jesus is God, he can see the inside. All right? If we look at some of the Old Testament scriptures, like uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, where they're basically choosing a king, this one, uh, this one guy comes in front of Samuel, and Samuel thought, oh, this guy looks great, awesome. Hey, this is God's anointed. And God basically stops him and like, hey, no, God doesn't use the same judgment as man. He doesn't look on the outside appearance, for the Lord looks on the, the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. So that's the judgment and the gauge that God's using. Um, and Jesus is trying to tell them, like, hey, you got to clean the inside first. That's what's got to happen. Uh, he talks about that in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Actually, we should go there because I didn't write the full verse in my notes. 15, verse 19, he says, he says, for out of the heart, so the inward man here, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, 
adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Notice how all these things he brought, basically talked about, hey, it's the inside that makes you bad. That's where it all starts. So he's trying to get the Pharisees and also us to understand that we, ha we have to do, we have to cleanse the heart and cleanse the mind if we look to be righteous. You know, I think it's interesting when we look uh, like an Old Testament verse, Isaiah 55, uh, verse 6 and 7, basically when he's trying to get his children to repent and turn around or anybody to repent and turn around, it's interesting that when you're seeking the Lord, one of the first things he says in verse 7, says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Isn't that interesting? So it's not just actions. He, God knows he made us. God knows that the inward man has to change. All right? In fact, it's got to change first. Um, also, he talks about in Colossians 3. It's interesting to note that when he talks about, hey, now that you've put off this old man, Colossians 3, verse 1, and then into verse 2, think on, th set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. I just think that's kind of interesting that initially, yes, he wants you to, to take care of your actions and get right, but cleanse the inside and the actions will follow. All right? So Jesus there is giving the Pharisees, he's actually giving them the fix for their, for their heart and for their actions. Hey, change what's going on inside. Clean the dish inside. So what is that? That's, that's an application for us also. Um, I heard uh, one guy put it this way. Um, this might be more of a secular way of looking at it, but he said winning is an inside job. You know, and I guess really for being a Christian, I think the scripture leads to, hey, being a Christian is an inside job. It starts here. Let's change the way we think. And therefore, let's change our actions. You know, when I think about repentance, I think of the, in, the internal change that's got to go on. Man, I got to gotta choose to think now that the things that I used to say, the things that I used to think, those things are wrong. I got to choose to believe that and then act upon it. All right? So I think that's how we can apply that to our lives. Let's clean internally. Another verse to go along with that, I won't read it, but for your own notes, uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, 9 and 10, basically where, where the Lord is looking is on the heart. Now, from here on out, Jesus just, he continually just called Ed, he gets repetitious, keeps on calling them hip, hypocrites and woe to you, woe to you, hypocrites, hypocrites. Cleanse the inside. He talks about the whitewashed tomb. You know, hey, graves look good, but inside, what are they full of? Dead man's bones. All right. So with the thought of cleansing the cup, with the thought of cleaning the inside, we're starting out with that. I can't help but think of Psalm chapter 119, verse 9. Where this, I mean, basically they ask the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? We're, we're already talking about cleaning the inside, right? So how do we clean this up? Where does it start with? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. 
you know, kind of back to where, the, where, where we started off, seeking God with your whole heart, there's a benefit to that. With my whole heart, I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from what? From your commandments. That's where the cleaning starts. Really is being in the word. Being in the word. How else am I going to find out how, I'm, how or what I'm supposed to think? Right? We talked about Isaiah chapter 55 earlier. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Well, give me things to think about. He talks about set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. All right? Uh, give me things to think about. I'll find that in the Word. Um, how about the way we treat each other? How about the way we talk to each other? How we live our lives? How we handle certain situations? How I am as a spouse? How I, how I am as a father? How, I, how you may be as a mother, as a friend? If you want to know how to live your entire life in its entirety, it starts out with the Word because really it's the guide. It's, it's the manual for how we're supposed to be. Live, think, act, everything. So when the psalmist says, by taking heed according to your word, he's saying, hey, we got to be reading this if we want to make any changes, if we want to clean ourselves up. It starts with here. And you have to be diligently seeking him. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Going, going into the word, word consistently to clean yourself up, to get to know God better, that is diligently seeking God. And applying that to your life, that is diligently seeking God. Back to Hebrews 11, 11 6. And remember, if you're dil diligently seeking him, there's reward for that. There's benefit to that. All right? This will help you change your life and... This will help you be acceptable to God. Take the lesson from the Pharisees of what they weren't. All right? Don't replicate them. God is giving you the steps in how to change your life. I do want to end with this, though. In the same chapter, Matthew 23, in verse 33. I'll he starts off serpents and brood of vipers, but what I want to focus on is how can you escape the condemnation of hell? All right. How can someone escape condemnation? How can you escape going to hell? And really, if the Pharisees, if they would continue on the way they were going and the way they were acting and the way they were disobeying God, if they continue on that, they won't escape hell. If they won't repent, there is no change. There is no, uh, there is no ability to get right with God again. So they would have had to make a change. And for anybody in the audience or anybody who's looking, uh, watching this online, if you want to be right with God and if you don't want to be under the condemnation of hell, if you don't want to be going there, then you're going to have to make a change. So and, and God gives us some easy steps to have our sins forgiven and put us on a path to be going to heaven with him in eternity. So first of all, we kind of brought up Hebrews 11.6. You know, You've got to believe that God is. Because without faith, without believing in God, it's impossible to please Him. You can't do anything else. You can't do great works. You can't do anything else that's going to save you from your sins. You can't even get to the, the end goal of salvation if you don't believe in God. 
It's impossible to please God. So you got to believe in God. John 3.16, he talks about um, whosoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, shall not perish but have eternal life. You've got to believe that Jesus is God's son sent from him to save us from our sins and to be the sacrifice for our sins. Uh, he said in John, and 8, John 8 and 24, he said, hey, if you don't believe in me, you'll die in your sins. So you have to believe in Jesus. Otherwise, you'll die in your sins. Luke 13, 3, now he talks about repentance. Um, if you don't repent, you'll likewise perish. All right, you have to make a change. You have to make that inward change to now do what God wants you to do instead of the path you were on before. Romans 10, 9 and 10 talks about confession. You've got to be able to confess Jesus Christ before mankind, and he'll, be, he'll confess you before the Father in heaven. And finally, you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. 1 Peter 3.21 and Acts 2.38. You have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you're baptized, you rise, afterwards you rise to walk in newness of life. Another verse to go along with that is Acts 22, verse 16. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul was, um, when he was being baptized, he said, you know, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. You've got to be baptized to have your sins washed away. So the Lord gives these easy steps for you to follow so you can have your sins forgiven and you can be on a path to heaven. So if there's any way that we can help anybody in the audience or anybody online with that, uh, we stand here ready to assist you as we stand and sing.